You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. A brother and sister are arrested for an iPyramid spyware crime spree that may have been in progress since 2010. Ukraine confirms that Kyiv's power grid was hacked last month, and the Ukrainian government tries to tide over some influence operations of its own. Policy wonks talk information operations, and some realize that such ops aren't new. The peace sign hack joins the gummy bear hack as a challenge to biometric authentication, and Hamas goes catfishing. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, January 12, 2017. Two Italian citizens, a brother and a sister, Giulio Occhianero and Francesca Maria Occhianero, both on the downhill side of 45 and therefore old enough to know better, have been arrested for hacking high-profile Italian figures and at least one high-profile cardinal in the Vatican. An international operation reeled them in. Giulio was born in Italy and Francesca in the United States. Both were residing in London but domiciled in Rome, Italian police made the collar, the siblings faced trial in Italy, and the FBI seized the Dropbox servers to which the pair are alleged to have deposited stolen data. That alleged reminds us that this is a good point to offer the routine disclaimer that of course persons accused of a crime are entitled to a presumption of innocence, at least on this side of the Atlantic. Their lawyers, at any rate, say the Ochianeros didn't do it, Sure, Julio owned some of those American servers, but the lawyers point out that's just because he does business in the U.S. The incident draws attention to the malware used in the caper. A security researcher tipped off police when he received an email purporting to be from a lawyer that contained malware. Trend Micro has been taking a look at the spyware. It's being called iPyramid, and they say it's a data exfiltration tool delivered as the payload of a malicious email attachment. In the case under investigation, iPyramid is said to have been used to siphon off more than 87 gigabytes of data, which Trend Micro says includes usernames, passwords, browsing data, and file system content. Whether the Akianeros prove innocent or not, it looks as if the spyware campaign they stand accused of running had been in progress since 2010. Those behind the crime appear to have been interested principally in political and financial information about Italian political figures and also in similar information about some bankers and Vatican officials. The hackers' motives in all this are unclear. They could be political, but Italian police think they were financial. How the information might have been monetized isn't discussed in early reports. 
According to the BBC, Ukrainian officials have confirmed that this past December's power outages in the vicinity of that country's capital were caused by a cyber attack. Investigators see the same actors behind the 2016 blackout in Kyiv that they saw behind the 2015 blackout in Ivano-Frankivsk, which means, of course, that they're seeing Russians. Investigators also suggest, as they did in the aftermath of the 2015 hacks, that this incident could be a dress rehearsal for something much bigger. The Ukrainian government, Politico reports, is also quietly trying to mend fences with the incoming U.S. administration after evidently having conducted some quiet minor influence operations of its own on behalf of the president-elect's opponent. Those appear to have been conducted relatively casually, and without the high-level attention and direction the U.S. intelligence community perceives in Fancy Bear's prance through the Democratic National Committee. Minor and quiet as they may have been, the alleged operations are instructive. Influence operations are nothing new. Foreign policy and security intellectual types are busily reviewing other cases of propaganda, disinformation, forgery, provocation, and the like. Many consumers of old and new media are receiving these unsurprising stories as surprises. By the way, President-elect Trump has also said he now thinks the Russians hacked the DNC. He's still mad about BuzzFeed's stories of compromise. So be prepared for what incidents might come your way. If you're planning to be around Norfolk, Virginia the first week in February, and if you think you might be hungry, say noonish, take a look at our event sponsor RSAM's Lunch and Learn session on security incident response. SANS instructor Alyssa Torres and RSAM CISO Brian Timmerman will feed your mind as lunch feeds your body. See the event tracker at thecyberwire.com for information. Biometric technology has for some time been a leading light in efforts to replace passwords for authentication, but that light may be something of a will-of-the-wisp. You may recall the gummy bear hack in which the mark's fingerprints are stolen when the mark handles a toothsome but sticky piece of candy, then for some reason puts it back. This always struck us as a bit of a garbage hack, entertaining, sure, but more parlor trick than serious risk. Researchers at Japan's National Institute for Informatics, however, may be on to something more disturbing, the peace sign hack. A digital image, from a Mark's incautious selfie perhaps, is used to copy the Mark's fingerprints. It's a lot quicker and a lot less sticky. It's been shown in the past that the eye's iris can be matched from a photo, so the peace sign hack may bear watching. In industry news, Arcsan Technologies has bought security shop Aperion, and cyber startup InfoSight gets a $3.4 million Series A funding round. Finally, Hamas is reported to be using catfish as honey traps to install spyware on Israeli soldiers' smartphones. The winsome catfish promised video chats with predictably lovelorn troops. Alas, soldiers, you're going to get malware with that chat, and maybe not much chat either. The IDF thinks the damage was minimal, but with the troops, one never knows. We once heard a general of U.S. Marines lament the misguided initiative of a Lance Corporal, who thought it a good idea to recharge his Samsung Galaxy by plugging it into Sippernet. So all you sergeants and company great officers out there, in the IDF and indeed in every army in the world, if you want to keep them out of trouble, keep them busy. You may remember the movie Stripes, where Ox, one of our favorite characters, found himself having to explain just what happened when the men found themselves out for a little extracurricular activity. Well, sir, uh, we were, uh, we were going to the bingo parlor uh, at the YMCA. 
well, one thing led to another, and uh, the instructions got all fouled up there, and <laughs> we ended up... <laughs> Shut up. Okay, sure. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm joined once again by Israel Mursky. He's a research project manager at the Ben-Gurion University Cybersecurity Labs. Uh, you've got some interesting research that involves the use of some uh, exploit and vulnerability databases. That's right. So um, a vulnerability database is a platform used to collect, maintain, and disseminate information about uh, discovered vulnerabilities. And there are many different kinds of vulnerability databases available to the public, such as the NVD National Vulnerability Database, maintained by NIST, the National Institute of uh, Standards and and Technology. So different from all these other common uh, vulnerability databases is a database called the ExploitDB, which is maintained by Offensive Security. And they collect actual malware code written in high-level languages, such as uh, in C or in Java. This is different from uh, other databases or dumps of malwares which are obtainable, which are the actual raw Uh, machine code or the compiled code. So here you have uh, little excerpts of the malware code written in the original language. Typically, you can use this code to kind of run it and see if you can find holes in your systems and pen testing what's called referred to as white hat hacking. Uh, But we thought, uh, why don't we use this high-level code in the exploit database to uh, to assist us in detecting or discovering new malware trends? So uh, as opposed to, again, the pre-compiled code you find in other uh, databases, the high-level code contains all sorts of different semantics that help you better capture the intent or the objective of the malware author. So I'll give you an example. So if you look at uh, some sort of code that performs a buffer overflow, in, in the uh, machine code, you can track where the pointers are heading and where, where, what the malware is trying to accomplish. But looking at the high-level code, 
you can see what the names of the variables are and what libraries are perhaps being used. And just the fact that the malware author called his variable buffer may indicate some sort of usage of his code. And again, of course, you know, once it's compiled, this is this information is lost because the compiler doesn't need that for any for any reason. So what we did is we extracted a data set from ExploitDB's C code samples, and uh, we built a whole uh, data set based on these kinds of semantic features. And we used a uh, self-organizing map, which is kind of like a neural network for clustering, to try and discover different kinds of patterns and trends of malware over the last few years. Because in the exploit database, we know when the malware was published. We know what kind of malware it is because it's all been labeled. And then we try and get an understanding of sort of kind of different trends when uh, different malwares were more popular, what perhaps is the next uh, up and coming malware, and so on and so forth. So that's the kind of ongoing research that we're very interested in, uh, trying to see how we can use exploit database to try and not just see trends, but also help us build better predictors and to detect uh, different malwares that, are, that may come out in the future. Israel Mursky, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.